All right, welcome everybody to Simply Cyber Live. I am your host, Gerald Ozier, and we've got a banger for you today. We are bringing on experts who are working in the cybersecurity space. Sometimes it's practitioners, sometimes it's tangential relative to our industry. And today we've got a great one. I am super excited. Listen, if you are trying to go out there and you know get a job, break into the industry, pivot within the industry, right? Define your skills, become a speaker, maybe get a little side hustle going so you get some of that extra cheddar, right? How do you market yourself effectively? Listen, we're all really good at what we do. And a lot of times we lean into those tech skills or those hard skills about how to execute practically in our environment. But we can't really tell you know others very well. We can't explain to the business very well what we do or really explain why there's value there and why it's worth investing both financial capital and other resources in us. But don't worry, we got you all sorted out in all sorts of ways today. Today's guest is Ms. Virginia K, CEO and founder of Stratic, a marketing company focused on delivering realistic marketing strategies and tactics to their clients rooted in best practices and cutting edge research of user experience design. Listen, if you've been to my website, simplycyber.io, and you went there anytime before the last month, you know what it looked like before. Go to simplycyber.io right now. We'll wait. Okay. <laughs> you could pause the video if you're not, if you're hashtag team replay. Listen, you'll notice that the site looks a million times better. It's much easier, much flowy. It's pretty. That is in part because of Virginia's um, you know, expertise and analysis of what it needed to do and kind of how I was trying to engage the community. So you want to talk about case study, Simply Cyber, perfect case study, which is, by the way, how I met Virginia and why she's coming on. Now, I am really, really excited because today you, chat, will find out how to best develop a personal brand, how to market yourself effectively in the job market. And it is a market. We say job market flippantly, but guys, it's a market. It's like any other market. You're a product. They're the buyers. How do you market yourself in... Well, how do you market in the market? I know it's a little meta, okay? And we're also going to talk about... And this is a big one, so it'll, it, wait for it. How to groom a successful cyber side hustle. I've done this. I've got a side hustle uh, consulting gig thing. I'm terrible at selling services. I'm actually really curious to get Virginia's thoughts on this. As always, everybody, questions from the audience is welcome. We know we love engaging the guests. I love facilitating commentary. I want the questions that you have answered by Virginia. So let's absolutely do that. Let's get into it. Let's go get her. All right. Welcome, Virginia. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Absolutely. And Chad, I see you guys streaming in here. Very good. I hope you had a great time at Outpost. Great. Now, Virginia, before we get into all the nuts and bolts and you revealing all of your secrets that you have on marketing yourself, I, I do have a question because there is a, a big contingent in, in Simply Cyber's community of people who live in Texas, and there's a contingent of people who operate in the Beltway. Now, Virginia has a unique perspective because she lived in Virginia and worked out of Virginia for a while and has recently located to Texas. So, Virginia... Let's get let's get the uh, inside scoop here. Which which one reigns supreme? I have to say that Texas reigns supreme due to the fact that I fully believe that I'm solar powered, and this the fact that we've had rain in the DC metro for the last week on and off has been not my favorite thing. Also, 105 degrees for me, 
really wins over 65 degrees. So there's certain food things that are great in each place, but um, for me, Texas has my heart. Yeah. And, you know, I did live in the Beltway for a little while. I've never lived in Texas, but I will tell you that the traffic in that Beltway really was awful when I was there. So I don't know if Texas seems like it's wide open and that you can pretty much get anywhere at any point is, you know, so hopefully you're not dealing with any traffic issues down there. Well, the speed limit is also 85. So and they mean it. And so they get further, you know, further distances, but faster. So when we used to live close to uh, the White House, we would joke, okay, we'll take two hours to get there. And now it's like, okay, you can be in a different part of Texas in two hours completely, especially yeah. an hour. I, I love it. I love it. So, and I see the questions pouring in here. Definitely. Thank you. Follow Carrie's uh, direction here. Drop a cue at the beginning. And as uh, Virginia is answering questions, I'll go through and grab those things out. So Virginia, let's dive right into it. Um, big picture why should people be concerned with marketing themselves? Isn't isn't their degree or their certification or that because they're the best at it good enough for them to get the job? So good enough. That's a fun term. Uh, good enough for what? Good enough to make money? Maybe. Good enough to get you, you where you actually want to go? Maybe not. Um, when we look at marketing ourselves, we're looking at how we are being perceived by the world. And we are looking at the different ways that other people's perception can impact our market value. And so when we look at ourselves from like a LinkedIn perspective, or we look at ourselves from a whether or not we need a website standpoint, all of those different pieces and parts weigh into how you are perceived as somebody who is a master of their own domain. One of the things that I see quite a bit is people who come from the cyber domain who want to brand themselves will set up a site. They'll pull up something from Squarespace or Weebly or Wix, and they'll think it doesn't matter. I'm just throwing this up and I'm, I'm always telling people it all of it kind of matters because people think computers, cybersecurity, it all, you should be really good at design too, right? And user experience design, the flow should be really intuitive and it should work on a mobile phone and it should be easily found in search. And it doesn't always go that way. So branding yourself has to do with as much of the aesthetics and the hierarchy of information, the consumability of that information, as it does being able to really articulate what you do, why you're doing it, how it's different or better than someone else. And that comes in a variety of ways. Yeah. So I, I want to spend a minute talking about the site. So let, let's just say someone, would you even recommend that someone create a site? I mean, it, you said you know, you should be careful making it all complex and stuff. So maybe would you, would you encourage people do have kind of a simple site in order to begin to uh, have some branding? Because and I'll just preface it by saying, I feel like LinkedIn is the new platform. Like if, if a candidate's resume shows up on my desk, it's not uncommon for me to go to LinkedIn to look for them. I don't Google their name. I just go to LinkedIn. So is there value in putting time and effort into a site, a website, uh, if you are trying to market yourself? Yes, if you're especially thinking about a side hustle being part of that picture. If you're building something that is strictly around you as a person, LinkedIn is a fabulous platform. It has a lot of the functionalities that you would want in terms of being able to develop authority, uh, show relationship, be able to convey that you are a safe choice. Um, in terms of being able to also address problem solving, uh, that's part of our, our pyramid that's been adapted from Maslow's hierarchy of needs for motivation. And, and to motivate people to engage with you, we look at that. And so I kind of did it out of order, but we start with safety. Then we move into relationship. 
then we move into achievement, and then we move into problem solving. And so every profile really should have all of those pieces and parts in them to be able to show the different ways that you can help motivate your audience to engage with you. And so when you're using LinkedIn for that purpose, there are a lot of different tools and functionalities that are now available to you in creator mode that allow you to show that thought leadership. That being said, you are building your personal brand at that point in time. And if you have a great idea, you have a new innovation, you want to potentially bring in some additional thought leaders, it makes sense for you to be thinking about setting up that website externally to be able to make the brand bigger than just you. Are there any pitfalls that people should avoid or a formula for best practices that they should employ? I would say that the pitfalls people fall into most of the time are thinking that they can do it themselves. And mm -hmm. the problem with it is that a lot of these uh, drag and drop builders do make it seem really easy. But I've seen a lot of people come in and say, I, I got in. I don't know how to get out. People come here. They don't know what I do. They get confused. Um, mm -hmm. I, can you help me? And a lot of the marketing has to do with language, keeping it simple, being able to let people understand what you do in a usually ninth to 12th grade reading level. Because we tend to think just because we're speaking with engineers or we're speaking with people who have postgraduate degrees, that it has to be multisyllabic words, that we have to make it overly complex. And the reality mm -hmm. is that we all suffer from a little bit of the don't make me think, stop making it so hard. And what we want is from a language standpoint to make that information that we're sharing, regardless of the platform, easy to consume. Yeah, it's it's so true. Like, you know, just as a practice, what I do is uh, whenever I have a problem uh, and I have to bring it to my boss, I typically try to bring two solutions, one that I re really prefer and then one that's an acceptable solution, unless I really need the preferred one. And then I bring a really crappy other option. But but the point is, I agree with you, like you should make it very easy for the for the consumer of the information uh, to get not trying to flex on, you know, that, you know, a uh, you know, an eight syllable uh, word or something like that. So I, I want to pivot a little bit, Virginia. So we did we did all agree uh, LinkedIn is a wonderful platform for many reasons. And I know many people in chat um, they're either trying to break into the industry or, you know, they want to have solid footing that way. If they need to pivot, they'll have that flexibility. What are some best practices for personal branding on LinkedIn? Okay, so this is one I see people guilty of all the time, and it really does fall into that LinkedIn best practices, but I'm going to say it just because it does matter. Please get a professional headshot of yourself. You mm -hmm. can be you in everything about you if you have purple, green, orange hair. I don't care. If you want to wear a Marvel t-shirt, go for it. But please don't be standing next to your cousin at some wedding in the hills. Like, please, like, be you and be just you. Because people want to engage with the person. And mm -hmm. if they can't identify who that person is, then it can be a challenge. I have some mixed feedback from what we've studied in terms of whether or not it's important to have the same image across every single channel that you're on. So, for instance, your profile picture on Twitter versus your profile picture on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. We have mixed data on that. But what I do think is that the more memorable your look, the easier it is to be able to vary it up in those different realms. Because sometimes you want to be a little more buttoned up. Sometimes you want to be a little bit more laid back. And so depending on the platform, you can vary it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like anytime I see the, the, the profile picture, but then you just see like a hand from, from like clearly, you know, it was cropped. It's like, mm -hmm. oh man, like, you know, and, and the thing is, it's like, you do one thing and it persists value indefinitely. Like right? just get the photo right. Uh, I'd also say that that the header image 
should be kind of interesting. Um, what are your thoughts around? So the header is like that banner image um, that here I, I can bring up Virginia's really quick. Oh, wait, I can't bring up Virginia's because because <laughs> we're live on your LinkedIn profile right now. But uh, basically, it's the image behind your profile. It's the very top of your LinkedIn profile. Um, going with the default is obviously a, a bad move. But do you recommend having tons of contact information up there, making it just pretty? Like, what, what's your best practice for that space? So I always tell people that work with what you've got. So mm -hmm. if you are somebody who is already a featured speaker, get a picture of you speaking. If you are somebody who really cares about building out your team's brand, use something that your entire team can utilize so that when they see the team across different channels that they go, oh yeah, I recognize that brand. Everybody in my company has the same banner image. Now, if you're part of different sales divisions inside of a larger organization, we'll do different initiatives, different calls to action. We'll even change out stuff depending on different events that we're going to because people are looking at that. And you're also seeing those headers in a variety of ways so that if you go to the profile on mobile versus on desktop, you're going to have a different experience. And so I constantly reiterate scalability. Information that is not consumable on mobile, you might as well, why, you know, why waste the effort? We have so much time that people are cruising all of these platforms on mobile. Don't put tiny little words in there. Uh, and again, if you're going to be working to really promote your own brand, you've got a lot of different places that you're going to be. Remember, that's not interactive space, but somebody can look. And if you've been consistent in creating all of your marketing handles to be the same or at least really similar, then you mm -hmm. can put up a Twitter, an Instagram, a TikTok, whatever it is to be able to say, find me in these other places as well. Yeah. And so just a really shout out to a uh, new squad member, uh, new addition to the Simply Cyber community, Jeremy Williams, talking about his LinkedIn banner. Uh, he thinks it's a dumpster fire and it's time to upgrade it. So uh, definitely uh, time to do that, Jeremy, if, you're, if you are thinking it's a dumpster fire as well. Um, I do want to point out people in chat are mentioning Canva. I use Canva. Virginia, I think you you support Canva usage, right? I'm a huge fan of Canva. Yep. So if you if you guys need a banner, if you if you're Jeremy Williams or akin to Jeremy Williams, definitely check out Canva.com. We're not affiliated financially in any way. It's just a great, great product. Now, uh, Joe Senor or Senior, Sean Yor. Joe, I always say your last name wrong. I you need to drop a pronunciation key in here for me, man. But you just mentioned TikTok and all these other ones. Uh, do you really need to keep up with all these different platforms because the level of effort does scale? So is it is it worth it? And you know, I guess what are your thoughts around that? So my advice is if you're not going to do everything well, don't do everything. Pick what you can do, pick what you can excel at, and really focus your energy there. The other thing that I tell people is that in the range of things that you have to do in a day, there are things that will energize you, things that will be neutral and things that will drain you. And it is my recommendation that you find the things that are going to be either neutral or energizers out of those. So that if you're like, man, it takes no energy for me to do a tweet. I can be active on Twitter. I can be doing it on my commute. I can be doing it while I'm sitting and waiting for you know, my husband to get off the phone, whatever it is. I can do that and it doesn't take a lot of brain capacity versus, all right, now I'm on Instagram. Does my hair look all right? Is the background okay? Did I put the right filter on it? Do I have to go research hashtags? All of those different things. You're adding complexity. Now, it depends on the person and what actually feels normal or natural to them. So I say stick with what you like and what you're good at. And to the point of TikTok, I am fully on board with the idea that this is definitely not a secure platform. That being said, burner phones, 
burner phones are your friend, uh, especially if you want to be able to establish that presence in front of a younger audience. Now, depends on who the audience is again, but in terms of short consumable content, a lot of the stuff is being repurposed inside of Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels. You're going to see it in lots of different places. I love it. So that hopefully that answers your question, Joe Sinor, who, who, as he put in the pronunciation key, I realized I asked that last stream as well. So Joe, my apologies for not remembering, but uh, I, I do like your idea um, of repurposing it, at least getting some economies of scale uh, or scales of economy uh, for, for those consumable pieces and products. Um, a couple of questions are coming in here and I see Chris Weaver, Chris Frazier, you guys showed up. Uh, glad you can make the to, to the live. Uh, Chris Frazier was asking about what, recommending whether or not to create a personal website. Chris, um, Virginia actually answered that at, at the beginning in, in, in a pretty good level of depth. So do check out the, the first part of this stream. You'll love it. We are getting a couple questions in here from Joshua B. and Christopher Hyatt that are very similar in nature. So I do want to um, bring... No, I'm sorry, this isn't the right one. Um, here. It's a... Uh, how do you market yourself to employers when you're trying to break in and may not have all the skills required? Great question. So marketing yourself to employers has a lot to do with being able to utilize keywords that are related to you and the soft skills and hard skills that you possess. As you look in the different LinkedIn categories, since we're kind of on a LinkedIn bent right now, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody has been aware of this, but if you were like me and you had added in your job descriptions from ages ago when LinkedIn first came in, you didn't have a lot of opportunity to tie keywords into those specific jobs and descriptions. Now, LinkedIn has made it possible for you to be able to say, oh, leadership was actually something that I was able to do inside of my most recent role, or I was able to learn Microsoft Excel in my role before that. You can actually put those keywords there. So when you're looking for breaking out to employers, they're looking for keywords and all the different search algorithms are going to be scraping that data and seeing, oh, you'd be an ideal candidate for this, especially if you start doing the job seeker portion inside of LinkedIn. It's helpful to be able to have all of those boxes checked. The other thing is having endorsements is huge. We talked a little bit about Maslow's hierarchy of needs for motivation adapted. And when we're able to show that achievement, when we're able to show other people that we are trustworthy and trusted, it allows people to have a little bit of a sense of calm and ease. One of the things I say to clients is nobody gets fired for you know having a bad situation with Deloitte. Deloitte is very safe. It's a very safe choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you are putting yourself out there, you have to keep asking yourself, Am I being perceived as a safe choice? Yes or no? And if not, what can you do about it? Uh, and so part of those things that you can do from that personal branding standpoint, I know it's a little taboo in cyber, um, but having real pictures of you in your profile photo is super helpful. Also, um, even on Jerry's profile, you can see there's like a welcome video. People get to know you a little bit more than just kind of the stationary picture. There's also the ability to share personal articles and things of the sort, curated content, basically taking content on which you resonate and adding uh, featured uh, commentary from you, your team, to be able to say, this is what my opinion is on this. And then being able to be part of that conversation inside of different groups. Um, a situation that I recently witnessed was being able to uh, see someone get hired out of a Facebook group because they were being a thought leader. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you're looking to get active, LinkedIn has all of these community places that you can do that. But it's not just LinkedIn. You can be doing this inside of Twitter. You can be retweeting people that you admire. You can be engaging with lots of different individuals who will be resonating on the same topics that you're resonating on. Mm -hmm. But 
what I tell people is don't be a parrot. Do not repeat verbatim what other people have said. Add something to it. Have some creativity. Have an opinion. How important is consistency, whether wherever you're posting and stuff, how important is consistency as far as establishing authority? Oh, man. Give me a softball, isn't it? This is like I, I would have consistency tattooed on my forehead if it wouldn't just not work with all my outfits. You got to do the knuckles. You got to do yes. the knuckles. Consistency. Yeah. Um, consistency is key. And consistency is not just from a scheduled standpoint. It's not like, oh, every Tuesday at 8 a.m. we do this. Consistency is the brand voice. Consistency is the topics that you cover. The thing is, is that a lot of people take time off during July and August, and they don't really have a whole bunch of heartburn if you're not doing what you normally do during those months because people are away. Now, there are some groups that I get really excited for when they come back in the fall because I'm like, oh, man, what have you been doing up to this summer? You know, fill me in. Like, stuff's been happening in the world just because you went off and did stuff. Come back. Fill me in. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, is, is that unless you are doing something daily, people are not going to miss if you miss a Tuesday. So being consistent, though, in terms of who you are uh, and being, being really embodying what your brand is to be is important. And that's something that you want to live with for a long time. So thinking about the stuff that will continue to grow with your brand is important. Can you define... I guess we sh maybe should have done this at the beginning, but like, can you define what your brand is? Not Stratic, but like for an individual so someone can wrap their head around what brand is. Because we, I feel like the term personal brand and brand identity and all these brand, 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 brand gets thrown around all the time. But when, you know, I used to think before I really understood it, like brand was like, oh, Coca-Cola is a brand, like Pepsi is a brand, right? Like I'm just a person. I don't, I'm not a product. Right. So can you kind of break it, break it down so people can like have the foundation of what brand is for themselves? Sure. So the way that I like to think about brand is anything that you're hoping to influence purchasing decisions with. So with that, if you are hoping that you're going to generate a tra attraction and attention because you have flashy signs, um, you know, just got back from Black Hat. What are the things that we're going to see out on the floor? What are the things that are going to draw our attention? Any of those things from tchotchkes that you pick up at the booth to people having conversations in the hallway to any of those different things that we visually see or hear and what we engage with. Um, I was just visiting with a client today who has a really cool feature um, that when you walk into their office, it smells like the beach. Hmm. They have a smell machine. Every single person who comes into that office goes smells like I'm at the beach. And it is always remarked on. Now, it's a memorable factor. And memorability is a super important part of this whole brand image. And so that could be the fact that, for instance, uh, I'm pretty preppy uh, out in the world of all of the clothing and aesthetics and whatnot. I was raised with Brooks Brothers and Ralph Lauren, and that was my style. And I've tried to be cool. I have failed. Um, and so I've <laughs> Gone back to what, what works for me. And for me, that's part of my brand. If you saw me hanging out with purple hair, I would feel really, really uncomfortable because it's not my brand. It's not mm -hmm. why I'm in my core. But that could be your brand. It could be what somebody else perceives about you. And there's a whole bunch of different things in terms of how you feel comfortable putting yourself out in the world as a personal brand. 
you think about branding also in terms of when you go to these shows, people are all wearing the same logo. That's part of a brand. Mm -hmm. It can also be everybody doing the same thing on LinkedIn, sharing the company culture, being able to share specific hashtags. All of that is brand. Um, as I've worked with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, up to Series A and Series B companies, branding at the individual level really can be flexible. But what you want is to figure out what's sustainable. And for you, you want to find the things that are going to be, for instance, we were talking about Canva just recently. Um, mm -hmm. If you are somebody who is seen as a creative individual, and let's say that every single time that something like Log4j happens, you want to be on the forefront of what's happening and revealing in the world. Well, you know what? Maybe it makes more sense for your background banner to be something that's of a cyber domain, of something more geometric, something that's got more texture and color to it. And you can go to a site. I'm a fan of this site. You just have to sign up for it. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but it is a uh, Creative Commons license uh, website called Pixabay, P-I-X-A-B-Z-M-B-O-Y-A-Y, pixabay.com. Sign up for the account. They'll make you prove that you're not a robot. Um, but then you can be changing out your pictures as frequently as you like. And it could be just interesting pieces that are resonating for you. And there also are some specific cybersecurity photography and imagery and illustrations that will work pretty well for that as well. I love it. Yeah, I, I dropped a link to Pixabay in chat also. I, I like using Unsplash um, personally. Um, so both there, but really, really, really great content. I, I want to share kind of a fun, funny story uh, just about consistency and branding and who are you and everything like this. So uh, on LinkedIn, I'm connected to 30,000 people. And, uh, you know, people make connections all the time on LinkedIn without knowing who you are, what you do or anything like that. And I go live every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And I had some people come up to me at Black Hat and say, hey, like Jerry, love Simply Cyber. Thanks for, you know, X, Y and Z. I've been I've seen your videos, whatever. OK, so like th those people are clearly there. I had just as many people come up to me and go, I know you. You're the guy who pops up in my LinkedIn every morning at AM. Like they don't watch it. They don't know anything about me. They don't know anything about anything Simply Cyber. But but I am in their face because it pops up every morning at 8 a.m. while they're at work. And I thought that that was kind of a funny, like way to go for the assist LinkedIn for pushing my face in front of 30,000 people every morning. So, uh, you know, who, who knew, right? We knew that was part of the plan. <laughs> so, hey, let me ask you this, because this is a really great segue question from uh, Christopher Hyatt. So we've been talking LinkedIn, we've been talking branding, pictures and all this stuff. So what's a good way to market yourself uh, to employers that really aren't, you know, doing stuff on LinkedIn? So I would challenge you that the employers don't have some presence there, whether or not it's the C-suite is debatable, um, especially in different levels of cybersecurity. But you will see HR, you will see other recruiters, you will see people who are scouting who are potentially going to be somebody who can create that connection. So, but to address this question specifically, um, when you're not using LinkedIn, it's really great to build these relationships like RSA, Black Hat, GSX, go to these things where you can go and meet people and find some way to stand out. Um, I try to encourage people to stand out in a positive way, um, but I've seen negative work out too. Um, mm -hmm. You can't be for everyone. So make sure that you're honoring who you are. 
So when you're looking at those employers, the people that you want to draw on the attention, um, I saw something cool while I was uh, out at RSA of people basically ha having a, uh, a key card um, that had different pieces and parts in it that was uh, a business card that had been saved in a wallet for a really long time. And so when you have those things that stick with people and it's pretty nifty, I was actually in a meeting yesterday where I had two different clients meeting for the first time. And I said, you know, Don, give Cole your, your business card. And um, he looked at me, he's like, you can see through that. That's, that's really neat. Um, those personal branding things where you're going to stick out from the pile or the stack that people are like, oh, I really want to meet you. I really want to meet you spend the extra money. Everybody knows about Moo.com by now, and it's not as jazzy as it once was. Look for a great printer that is local to you. Figure out a way to get some of those cards built for you that stand out. Now, one of the other things that was uh, an interesting topic of discussion at all of the trade shows we've been to this year is QR codes for good or for bad. Mm. Um, and I actually have a QR code on my business card. Um, and looking at a whole bunch of the things that we've endured with COVID-19 and QR codes just becoming everywhere. Um, one of the things that I was showing people, which I was kind of surprised at, is the ability to brand yourself using the LinkedIn app with the QR code that's in that search bar. A lot of people didn't know about it. And if you're going to talk about trust and safety and being able to have a level of security that people are going to be more on board with than a QR code on a business card, go into your LinkedIn app on the top inside the little search bar. If you click on it, you'll get that little square, click it again. It'll actually bring up a page that has your QR code on it. And this can be one of those opportunities to connect with people at that moment. And so it's a great way to be able to start that connection because people meet a lot of people at events and you want to be able to- uh, let, Let's walk through this. I'm on the LinkedIn app. Where, where do I do Because this is awesome. I, would, I wish I'd known this before Vegas, honestly. Uh, I'm on the LinkedIn app. Now, where do I go? Okay, so go home. I'm home. Okay, so at the top, there should be the search bar. Yes. All right, when you touch that, in the right-hand corner should be a little square. LinkedIn would like to access the camera. Okay, no problem. There we go. So Good you night. just have someone scan this and they get my LinkedIn profile? Yep. Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. And authority and trust is coming obviously to you via the fact that, you know, LinkedIn is more trustworthy than random QR code that somebody's picking up off of swag. Very nice. I like it. I like it. Kevin Mitnick's uh, lockpick, which is one of the most iconic business cards in our industry. You can see it. It's, it's literally a lockpick kit. I got this at Black Hat. Um, this might take a second a back, set, a, a back seat to... This LinkedIn QR code. This is pretty good, Virginia. See, Virginia, just dropping value, dropping knowledge bombs on us. Thank you uh, for, for walking us through that, Virginia. I appreciate that. Sure. So uh, continuing to, to motor on, I want to um, talk about one more question with this uh, as we kind of foray out of LinkedIn. Bob Bob's saying, um, is LinkedIn basically the only dog in the game? Are there any alternatives? Are people doing business in any way anywhere else? They are. Um the challenge is where is the volume and what is going to make the most sense for you if you're trying to get a better presence. So there's a lot of opportunity to gain an audience through YouTube. That level of effort is very high. I think, Jerry, you can probably speak to level of effort required in order to maintain that channel. It, it, yeah. Yes. 
But in terms of being able to present yourself out there and being able to do something that most people don't find terribly cumbersome, which is writing content, LinkedIn is a place to be. And there's so many different closed groups that based on your title, based on the different groups that you've been from, um, there's exclusivity. You have an opportunity to stand out and have your voice heard in a way that you might not otherwise. Um, the other thing is when you're looking at the different alternatives for basically finding an employer, you can be looking in some of these different channels where they are actually active. So different uh, forums, are a great place. Uh, asking questions that are provocative that you know marketing managers are looking at. So Quora, Reddit, these are places that people are going to pay attention to. So generating the content is usually the hardest barrier to entry. Um, people who are afraid to be heard, people who are afraid to generate content because it's not going to be the right content. Um, writing tends to give you a little bit more flexibility. You can draft, redraft, not have to worry about it as much. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you want to think about this from marketing yourself, marketing yourself for a side hustle, uh, and also marketing yourself because you want another job. Um, as you are looking at that other job position, I encourage you incredibly to be going through all of the different social media channels that are out there for that company and find the things that are actually going on for them that you resonate with and comment. Uh, like, comment, and share is not just for the world of video. Um, it is really being able to see that you are part of that organization, that you find value in it, the culture works for you. Um, and so if you have an active presence, activity helps. Now, if you have memorability on top of that, even better. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of catchphrases. Um, I've joked about them from time to time. I've, I've worked out a few of my own and none of them have stuck. Uh, so I don't know what that tells you for a marketer who can't get her own catchphrase to work. Uh, but if you find something that really resonates for you, like cheers, if that's your thing, then everything you sign off with is cheers, mate, whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, it used to be go forth and kick ass. That was mine. Um, but then everybody was like, go forth and kick ass. I was like, I was, no, no. It's like, go forth and kick ass. That was my thing. It's and really in the delivery, right? I think, you know, just like, but I, I tend to yeah. be like a blue person. So like, go forth and kick <laughs> ass. Like it was just, I, 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 I don't know. I could be convinced to bring it back. Um, but in terms of being able to figure out what channels make the most sense, one of the things that we look at for all our interactions on the internet is that we look at something from an SEO uh, lens. So SEO, search engine optimization. When you look at websites, you are looking at the popularity of those websites when you're looking at it from an SEO lens, specifically to identify what is the popularity of that site in comparison to all of the different sites on the internet. And so you get a logarithmic scale of zero to 100. Obviously, the higher you get, the harder it is. And what we are able to see is that sites that were developed yesterday have a very, very low domain authority. Sites that have been around for a long time have a lot of traffic, a lot of expertise, expertise, authority, and trust, a lot of connections in and out. Those have much higher domain authority. And so if you're looking to determine whether or not that place is a good place for you, you're looking for things that are actually going to have a higher domain authority. So one of the ways you can do this, there is a free plugin that you can download from moz.com, M-O-Z.com. And you can actually put it in your Chrome plugin and, and be able to see like, what is the domain authority of those sites? Is it worth my time? Are there enough people here to warrant spending the energy? Um, because it can be very challenging to look at the content on the surface and maybe they had just a really great marketing community manager to start with, um, but then it kind of fell by the wayside. 
Look also for what the latest posts are. If I mean, there are some really fun Reddit groups that have died um, over time. So mm -hmm. pay attention to when posts were and also look for ways to just continue to stand out. People will find a way to engage with you, even if it is to ask to speak with you, you know, via direct message and giving yourself that freedom to be yourself, have an opinion, I think really helps to brand you and gets people interested in your next journey, whether that's next journey, journey inside of a company as part of that team or whether or not you're starting your own team. Oh, I love it. And uh, so tons of actionable information in here. Absolutely love it. We're going to now pivot into side hustle. Carrie, I did see your question. I was just waiting until we got to the side hustle section of the conversation before I brought it up. So Virginia, let's talk side hustle for a minute. Uh, a couple questions that come in. Carrie's got uh, a question here, but it basically distills down into how do you find side hustle work, right? So like I decide, okay, hey, I'm going to hang a shingle. I've got some some tech skills like Carrie. How do I how do I, you know, penetrate the market? What what's what's the first couple of things that people should be thinking about when they're thinking side hustle? So the first thing is what do you want to do? And uh, do you feel comfortable not making any money in the beginning? Because mm -hmm. that's one of those things that we talk about all the time with people who are doing their side hustle. It's are you passionate enough about this to be making an intern salary? If you are, great, pursue it. Or less. If, or less. Uh, there's that um, sometimes. But what you want is to be able to find something that is going to have a higher return the longer you spend invested. So I used to be the uh, chair of the board for the Tyson's Regional Chamber of Commerce. And if you're in D.C., you know where Tyson's is. And I'm a big fan of successful chambers. And chambers of commerce are a great way to meet network and then network of network. And being able to talk with people who are, you know, potentially adjacent to your field. And I recommend finding the rainmakers, um, the people who are probably not going to buy from you, but are also going to be able to introduce you to the right people. Um, but it needs to be specific about what that side hustle is, is, is it viable for you? Do you have this really cool idea that you need vetted? I will be happy to talk to you after this. Um, because there's a lot of vetting that should be put forth before mm -hmm. you decide to go off down that path. But that being said, when you're figuring out the right places to market yourself, spend the energy, work on that side hustle, there's a lot of forgiveness in the beginning for people who have bad marketing. Why? Because people realize that not everybody's a designer. Although I always joke with other marketers that um, everybody thinks they can do our job better than us, uh, which mm -hmm. is partly why I, I gave up the, the term marketing strictly inside of our, our name, being much more focused on the full user experience. But looking at how those people who are in your circle of influence or could be in your circle of influence can make you part of their conversation is super helpful. The other thing is when you're starting a side hustle, figure out who you're competing with, look at what they're doing, determine mm -hmm. how long they've been doing it, and then figure out, can you do it better, smarter, better, faster, cheaper? Then think about what are the different places that you can actually get into the marketplace that makes sense. And there are a lot of different people who are willing to help you on your journey. Um, I'm a huge fan of freelancers and contractors, and you can find people who will do two hours on a slide deck for you. You can find people who will spend 20 minutes recording a voiceover for you so that you can have an explainer video. Mm -hmm. Use those different things to help you 
develop your legitimacy, your trustworthiness, your credibility, your consistency across all the brand. Because not everybody's a designer. Not everybody has vocal talent. Lean on those people. So when you're getting into side hustle land, I think that the biggest things for me that I always worry about people is whether or not the passion is strong enough to mm-hmm. survive the bad days. Because the, the reality is, is that in startup land, there's usually more hard days than easy days. Yeah, exactly. And and side hustle, I mean, I feel like it's important to say to yourself, like, okay, I'm doing this. It's not it's not one foot in, one foot out. It's like if if you're doing it and you're gonna be generating revenue, then it's a business and it might be a part-time business, but it's still a business. So you gotta uh approach it that way. And I, I just wanna point out something else. And I know like there's some other side hustle folks in here, Jack Scott, uh lifetime of side hustling. She she knows the grind. Um it it's just because you know something and you can deliver value to someone in a fractional kind of format doesn't mean that your time and effort corresponds to just billable hours, right? There's a lot of work that has to go into just even something as simple as a side hustle, like framing it up. And and I'm not talking about like driving Uber or something like that because they've already done all the work and that's why they take a piece of the pie because you don't do that part. Uh, but if you're doing full side hustle on yourself, uh, yourself, like there is, you're running a business too. You might not like, you might not realize it, but that's what you're doing. And you have to understand that there's that amount of effort and work as well. Now, Joseph Allen asked a question. It's pretty good. I think a lot of people will think about it. You know, you work a full-time job. How do you approach your employer or do you approach your employer or do do you have the conversation? Is there opportunities in order for open transparency? What, What do you think when people approach you about this? So I think that it really depends on what your employment agreement looks like. And I know that that's kind of a cop out, but a lot of people don't actually read their employment agreements and they usually will stipulate whether or not you're allowed to moonlight. And if your side hustle is not related to your full-time job, usually it's not a big deal for them. Now, if you've had challenges at work um, for any reason, whether it's been health, performance, difficult team, whatever the case is, you still have a bit of a challenge because they're going to see it as a conflict. And so they're going to see, hey, this is this is competing for the time that you could be spending. If you have all this energy, why aren't you spending it with us? Um, and so I will often say to people, your side hustle can stay your side hustle as long as it kind of fits in the same parameter that the IRS does. If it's a hobby and you don't make $10,000 from it, it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. Focus on it being a hobby. Then from there, if it starts catching then you have an opportunity to have a serious conversation and see if there's a way to possibly integrate the value that you're bringing from your side hustle into your primary gig. And then if what your side hustle is what you are truly passionate about, there'll be a pivot point potentially for you to be able to say, hey boss, I'm gonna be willing to be a contractor for you, but now I wanna focus solely on my, on my passion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I would even encourage folks like if you have a side hustle, right? Jax is talking about this right now. I've done this with Simply Cyber in my current role at ThreatGen. Um, so you don't have to be like a Fortune 50 Yale, Stanford graduate or whatever to, to do these things. Like as you're interviewing, as you're you know engaging in job search and stuff like that, I mean, unless it's like an absolute dream job or something like that, you know, uh, you may want to talk about 
your your side hustle. I wouldn't frame it in the context of a, being a competing priority over your potential new employer, but as an opportunity for access to resources and skill sets that the employer may have access to. Not that they can take your side hustle as their own business venture, but like basically spin it. And that way you're entering into this relationship almost much more open. And then, you know, you can get into a position where, you know, people like Jax has got, uh, she's partnering with her employer now as part of, with her side stuff. Uh, Simply Cyber is, um, you know, engage, I'm, you know, basically I do Simply Cyber stuff during the workday as much as I do threat gen stuff during my workday uh, because of that open transparency and the value that it gives me that I can then impart upon my employer. So don't think it's all about, um, I don't want to say being quiet, but it's not all about living two lives. It's not like you're, yeah, these people, I, I have no idea who these people are, but these people who have like two families that live like on opposite sides of the town and like the, the husband is like always on travel, uh, on travel. The, the, you're not living that insane lifestyle. Okay. Um, but you know, anyways, it's cool. But so getting back to side hustle, I don't even know why I went down that hole. Um, let me ask you this, Virginia, what, what are some of the mistakes that people make uh, or common mistakes with side hustles that you see from your perspective? The number one mistake I see is that they underestimate what it takes to make it successful. Hmm. There is a lot of um, wet blanket stuff that I come in and, and kind of bring about for my clients, for entrepreneurs, for solopreneurs to say, so I know you think that this thing that you have, this idea is completely unique, but did you even start with Google searches? And people think, well, nobody does what I do, or they, they claim, oh, well, it's, it's sort of like that, or they're saying they're doing stuff, but it's different. It's really different. And what I tell them is, unfortunately, uh, if it's on the internet, it is true. And from a marketer's perspective, people are looking at it and saying, oh, is that the world's best barbecue? Well, I'm not going to go check every barbecue in the world. I'm just going to take their word for it. So being able to come back in and see how hard it is to succeed is important. And also figuring out whether or not you're passionate enough about it to weather the hard times. Um, and I've, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs who have bright shiny object syndrome as part of this as well. Um, and uh, the big thing behind bright shiny object syndrome is I have a brilliant idea this week. I have a brilliant idea next week. And I have a brilliant idea that was the week before that too. Um, and it's like the switching, mm -hmm. the switching constantly and the inability to commit to whatever that side hustle is. And I believe that you should fail fast that you should be agile, that you should be receptive to feedback, that you should use your resources that you have. Everybody on this call is computer literate. Everybody on this call gets cybersecurity. Everybody on this call can get informed on the areas that they're not informed. And if you want to learn about SEO, SEMrush, Ahrefs, uh, Search Engine Land, these are all resources that you can go to to just get a little bit of a primer on how you might go about looking for keywords that you would want to compete for. And in a world where nobody knows you, you have to remember that the world of the web is where you're competing. And so it's important now more than ever when you're starting these side hustles to understand you're not going to have a site that's going to be high on a domain authority after a week. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be high after two years, maybe after three, depending on some really great luck and some blue ocean opportunities. But realistically, there is a solution in place for the problem that you are already addressing. 
the question is, how are you going to displace that problem? And how is your solution going to be conveying that safety, relationship, achievement, and trust with problem solving? And being able to show them that your solution is the right solution for them. It makes me think, so I just finished reading for the second, I read it twice, like back to back to back to back. Uh, Tiago Forte's Building a Second Brain, which, which is a practical book on implementing a technique that gives you a second brain. I won't get into all of it, but basically the, the TLDR is like your brain thinks of things all the time and then you can do a second brain to store those things. And then it's basically like the admin for your future self. So when you want to do something, all the content's there. It's, it's a wonderful system. I could do a whole video on it if you guys want. But one of the things that he talks about and it's you just said it with the entrepreneur who has an idea, has an idea, has an idea, is this concept of convergence and then divergence. And, con and it's two parts of the process of getting data. So like people have ideas and they, they Google a bunch of stuff and they, they write down all sorts of things and they have brilliant ideas, brilliant ideas, brilliant ideas, and it just keeps expanding. Um, it, but you need to stop and make the, the mental transaction to I need to diverge. You need to start picking apart what you already have and distilling it down and eliminating things that are uh, distractions and noises and focus and complete on whatever that project was, whatever that shiny idea was. And unfortunately, it seems people get wrapped around the axle of the convergence phase because there's always more stuff to pull. There's always more. And, you know, you never really move forward with anything. Uh, and I, I feel like that, that that kind of resonates with what you were saying about about kind of not following through on these things. It's very challenging. And as part of being an entrepreneur, what we understand is that the muse is important to embrace and being able to capture those ideas because you don't know which one's going to stick. You don't know which one's going to really fit for you that really has an opportunity in this space. And so I encourage people to build out those ideas in rough form. Um, I actually have people create Pinterest boards to be able to aggregate some of those ideas, things that will trigger memories and ideas and things like mm -hmm. that. To say, I want to pull these things. Um, but nobody likes doing homework. I mean, I don't know anybody who, I mean, I really love collecting school supplies. Like this time of year becomes like one of my favorite times to like go get all the notebooks and the pens. Um, but truly, I really don't know anybody who has been like, man, I can't wait for that assignment. So if you can find a way to integrate these learning opportunities for yourself mm -hmm. and for you to aggregate that feedback in a way that you're not going, well, that's, well, that's just poppycock. I'm not really believing in that whatsoever. You know, that that's not really true. You need to be able to trust a little bit of what you find um, and then pressure test it. And that's part of where you work with somebody who says, yes, this makes sense. No, it doesn't. And especially as you're looking to potentially transition a side hustle into something that's potentially funded. Mm -hmm. Now, get into that potential funding area, people are looking for some specific things from you, like from that personal branding aspect. They're looking for those things from you specifically from a consistency standpoint. Can you stick with stuff? Can you manage a budget? Do you have financial discipline to be able to run an organization? Do you have the intellectual knowledge uh, and capacity to bring other people on board with you? And so all of those pieces and parts are going to come into play when we start talking to the VCs, private equity, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tell people, be intentional about the steps that you're going to take. Uh, think about the things now that can help serve you later. Um, it's like the old saying, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. Mm -hmm. Old sayings my grandmother used to say, but still stick with you. You know, making sure that you have those pieces and parts that you're doing the right way. 
better to do it right once than wrong five times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Alicia asked a question regarding side hustle. Is side hustle reserved for masters only like, you know, 25 years of experience, gray in the hair masters, or is it a, a considered alternative if you're getting frustrated with the job ser searching um, experience? I think that people should definitely find different ways to make themselves stand out. And the worst thing that happens is you learn. Um, and I'm a huge fan of learning. I'm a huge fan of analytics. And being able to take on a side hustle that educates you, whether or not it's specifically in the domain of your side hustle, um, can really teach you a lot. It can teach you leadership skills. It can teach you different capabilities around social media. It could teach you potentially how to develop a community. I've seen some successful entrepreneurs who had initially an idea around their product who've actually built incredible communities just because they had an idea and got a whole bunch of people to support that idea as well. So interviews, man, we've all read about it, right? We're seeing the great resignation. We're seeing all of these different things with people losing jobs, cutting jobs, you know, the world's in a little bit of a crazy place still. And I wouldn't be disheartened by interviews. I will tell you that as you continue to look for jobs out in the marketplace, remember, sage advice, if you don't want it to appear on the front page of the newspaper, probably don't do that. Um, try to do the things that you're proud of. Try to do the things that you think are going to be the things that you want to have a legacy around. So Perfect is the enemy of done. That's the other thing mm -hmm. to keep in mind with this. 80-20 um, rule, like make sure that you're getting out there and doing something. You can always refine. You can always refine. It can always be better. But try to figure out where there's an opportunity. Keep knocking on doors. Try different avenues. Um, I had an interesting situation actually at, uh, at, at Black Hat. I asked to meet with a guy um, that I really didn't expect to take my meeting because I have the word marketing in my company name. And usually people go, oh, thank you so much. And we've got all of that. Thank you. Um, and he took the meeting. And I sat down and I said, I have to ask, thank you for your time. This was really generous of you. But um, why did you take this meeting? And he said, because you asked. And I could have been knocked over with a feather at that point in time because I thought to myself, how many people don't ask? Now, don't ask for the sun and the moon and the stars. You know, 15 minutes is reasonable. Be convenient. Be amenable. Be willing to buy somebody a cup of coffee. Um, but be realistic about whether or not you're being respectful and going to potentially be able to utilize that person's knowledge and resources to make them look good in the future. It can all be a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, that, what is it? Like 100% of the questions not asked never get answered. You know, and... You, you do have to kind of I, I put on your armor, you know, be, be prepared for someone to say no, you know, like, oh, it's not going to work, you know, uh, but but failing fast, failing forward. I know Jack said it in chat. You've said it uh, in, in, in different words of Virginia and, and anyone who has been part of the Simply Cyber community knows that perfection definitely isn't something that I'm letting stop uh, progress from happening as I don't know if you know this, Virginia, but like I basically have audio issues like 90% of the time. Um, fortunately, uh, not this episode, but uh, it is, it's almost like a recurring character on my show of Simply Cyber. But, um, you know, you, you just keep delivering, um, you know, what is value, right? And that at the end of the day, that's really what people 
you know, hiring managers, executives, just your neighbor, like people are looking for some value in their investing of their time, right? So someone did mention this and you just touched on it, but I really wanted to get your thoughts about this before we kind of wrap up. Um, the art of delivering value versus asking for business. So you just said, you know, you wanted to bring some value to this person. You didn't want to ask for the sun and the moon. Do you have any type of sage advice around this particular art form? Mm, so this is one of those what's in it for me questions. So the challenge that we have with marketing is that we tend to say, me, 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 me. I am doing this. My company has been about that. The history of my organization is. And um, that's a really boring conversation for the other person to listen to. Um, so figuring out what's in it for them is a core marketing tenant. But figuring out what that value is going to be without having to ask them. So Jerry, what would make this you know, deal easier for you? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, would, what would be good for you in this? Um, it's being able to provide some of those ideas um, up front and being able to deliver the value of the things that we all care about, saving time, saving money, being able to do something easily. Um, and once you become somebody that's easy to work with, somebody that people like, it becomes a lot easier for those people to say, you know, I really would like to do work with Bob. Bob seems like a really great guy and I, I trust Bob. Oh, and Sue actually knows him too and can attest that that makes a lot of sense. And there you've got relationship, you've got achievement, mm -hmm. you've got all of those different pieces and parts pulling back in together. So the art, I do believe it is art because it is part scientific, part you know creative mastery of delivering that value is being able to identify specifically what is the thing that that person wants that they see is a value because not everybody thinks a Rolex is a worthy timepiece. They may not see the value in it. They may be just happy with a Timex. So what is the value? What is the thing that that person wants? And then figuring out then how to find value in what you have to offer. Don't turn yourself into Gumby. You're not for everyone. Um, do your best to try and figure out if there's a fit and if there isn't move on. Now, in the early days, I will give you one of our five uh, rules of five for UX is we look for a trend of five before we make any significant decisions in the world of user experience design. And what that means is we are looking for five pieces of the same type of data. So if we find out of a group of 12 people that five people say, we absolutely love it. Great. Seems like something that we should pursue. Now, conversely, let's talk software. You have Mildred who comes in and she says, I absolutely have to have a blue button. If I do not have a blue button, there is no way I can use your software. That's one. Let's go see if we can get four more. So it gives you a little bit of room to be able to see what's your trend. Does it make sense? Because you don't want to be constantly pivoting. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. That's great. And it really brings it full circle too. Uh, going back to what we said at the beginning, where, you know, if you're going to, bring, you know, like present some type of um, offer or value prop. Like it, it, earlier, we talked about bringing a problem to someone and having some answers, having some solutions, being the person who is not in control, but making it easy for that individual. Uh, this sounds very similar in that way of, you know, coming to this executive, Virginia, but having an idea of how you can suggest a way to add value instead of having them think about it because you're basically put making it work for them. You're asking them for their time to make them work for you to tell you how to get value 
when in reality, if you just present it that way, you might even blow their mind because it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that as a way to deliver value. Let's, this person's smart. Like this person has ideas. Let's, let's rock and roll with this person, right? Exactly. I love it. Okay. So Virginia, we are running out of time, but before I want to send you off here, I do want to thank you personally uh, for coming on the show. I know it's been a, a, I've had a wonderful time and I've learned a lot personally. I hope chat has also learned a lot of stuff. Before I say goodbye to you, though, I'd love to give you the floor, give you an opportunity for some final thoughts. Maybe if people want to connect with you in some way, you can share that uh, with us. But I will step aside and give you the floor, Miss Virginia. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you again so much for having me today. Um, my company is Stratic, Stratic Marketing. We are a user experience design agency based out of Austin, Texas, and we work solely in tech, but primarily in cyber. And our goal is to really be able to help companies figure out the most effective and efficient ways to go to market that are going to be memorable. We use behavioral science, behavioral economics, psychology, being able to really get into the mind of the user to be able to understand for our customers what is going to motivate their customers to buy from them. So if you'd like to connect with me, please find me on LinkedIn. That is my platform of choice. Uh, I am trying to spin up my own Twitter. It's a whole story. But please find me on LinkedIn. You can find me with Virginia Stewart Case. You can also find my company, Stratic, S-T-R-A-T-A-C.com. And we'd be happy to have a chat with any of you about ideas that you have with your side hustle. We typically help businesses that are in the solopreneur through the Series B uh, range of business and eager to hear some cool ideas from the gallery about what you're working on. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Virginia. I'll definitely, uh, as soon as I send you off to the green room, I'll bring up your LinkedIn profile so folks can see that and connect with you. Uh, definitely chat's loving it. Definitely a positive reception here. So thank you very much, Virginia. And I will send you off to the green room now. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right, guys, I hope you got uh, tons of value out of that. I thought that that was a wicked awesome interview. Obviously, she's straight crushing it, which is why I asked her to come on because I knew it was going to be a slugger's ball up here at Simply Cyber. Guys, if you don't know, if you just happen to catch the show, I want to let everyone know that tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., just like every weekday morning at 8 a.m., I will Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I'm, I'm so pretentious that I think like, you know, it's obviously by default Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I will be going live with the daily cyber threat briefing. So if you found this stream interesting, I think you'll find value in the daily cyber threat briefing. We go through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. I break them down. I do have about 20 years of experience in the industry. So I give my thoughts and perspective on what those stories are, how you can operationalize them if you're a professional, or if you're looking to break in the industry, how you can you know, weaponize this data basically to make you more effective. And getting back to what Virginia said, uh, start defining your brand as knowledgeable and killing it at information security uh, and being the go-to person that they want to hire in order to help solve their cybersecurity problems. So it's going to be really good. I appreciate all of you. Let me uh, say thank you very much. I will see you all. And until next time, stay secure.